following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Let's pray. Father, would you do the miraculous work that you have promised through the prophets and achieved through the Spirit that you would write your word upon our hearts. Oh, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, that they would be pleasing in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. And we ask that you would do the miracle of planting your good word in us so that we might bear fruit, 30, 60, 100-fold. Father, that you would do the miracle of changing our hearts, cleaning our lives, as you are so faithful to do and have done. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Jesus here is addressing perceived external righteousness that really is what he's calling hypocrisy, right? And when our motives and attitudes are not to love God and love neighbor, we are in danger of the same. You know, this passage I have read for uh, many times, as I'm sure some of you have as well, and I've heard it preached and and, you know, a lot of times it gets addressed as being, look, you need to get your motives and your heart right, and then your actions will be, will be more pure and be more um, in line with, with my will and my heart and my word. And, and so I, I want to ask a question as we get started. Um, how, you, how are you doing at cleaning up your own heart? Has, uh, I mean, is that, is that really what... What uh, we're able to do is to, is to, is to clean up our, our hearts and motives. Is it, is it good for us to know the things that we do are wrong and inappropriate? Is it, is it good for us to have the conviction of the Holy Spirit and, and the counsel of God's word and God's spirit to show us our, our, our error, to, to, to light up the, the dark areas of our life? Sure. But, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a resolution at best when we think that we can fix ourselves. It's contrary to, the, to the, the good news, the gospel itself, when we think that we can be better. And, and yet, as a, as, a, as, a, as a spirit-filled believer, oftentimes we're trying to change or fix our faults and our problems. And, um, and we find ourselves falling short. Do we believe this morning that God is the one that changes our hearts and cleans our lives and saves us from our broken state? That he's the one that can change our motives and, uh, and alter our, uh, our, our convictions so that we walk in his word, not because we have to, but because we sincerely want to and we want to please him. And so one of the things that we're in danger of here is putting a 2020 lens or 2022 lens over a first century culture that is very different from ours. And so we always have to make sure that we kind of dive into uh, the text and, and take in the context and, and all the details and nuances of cultural, like Jewish first century culture and understand some of the things we'll come across uh, at times, you know, are very foreign to our current context, um, but are very necessary for us to understand in order to really understand what Jesus is doing in this moment. 
Um, so let's take a look here. I want to ask a few questions before we get started, but I have this statement to make about what the, the, the really the, the heart behind this text is. See, these Jewish leaders were methodically cl- cleansing or cleaning the outside of their lives, but had not taken a look at the uncleanliness of their own hearts. You know, oftentimes we are very aware, um, very intentional about our outward perception because of our care for what others think, maybe more even than what we care about what God thinks. And, and at the heart of this passage, you know, Jesus is asking the, the, these two questions again. Do you love the Lord by listening and obeying his word? And do you love your neighbor by showing compassion for those that are in need? All right, let's break apart the text. I hope you have your Bibles open and you're ready. Uh, We are in Luke chapter 11, picking up verse 37. We're going to go through the end of the chapter, which is verse 54. And uh, we're going to look at a text that uh, often gets misrepresented, I think, uh, in what Jesus is really pointing to here um, and uh, ultimately. So if if you remember a few months back, um, we were in chapter 7 of Luke, verse 36, and there was a Pharisee that invited Jesus to dinner at this point. And, uh, and then a woman of ill repute comes in and begins to wash his feet. And, uh, and the Pharisee is disturbed. And we kind of, uh, and, and in that process, in that moment, is his, his intentions are revealed. Um, and, and we see this here too. In fact, at the end of this passage uh, that uh, Brandy just graciously read, uh, in verses 53 and 54, we see an amplified um, moment where their, their intentions are clarified. Now they're just looking to find him, uh, you know, at odds with, with law so that they can make an accusation against him uh, rather than um, acknowledge him for who he is. So um, one, of the, one of the things I want to point out as we begin this passage, because it helps for sake of context, is that, you know, Jesus is always pointing to the Father. And what, what he's doing is he's revealing the Father. We, we see in Hebrews that he's the exact imprint of God. Like Jesus even said these words, you know, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? In John 14. And so his, he, when he, and, and what I believe that's going on here is they've, they're not seeing Jesus for who he is. Because if they did, there would be a whole different, you know, scenario that would unfold here. And that's the challenge for you and I. In every facet and every circumstance and every expression of life is, is how, how we relate to that moment really says something about what we believe about God and about Christ and his promises and his presence, his goodness and his love. And so let's look at the text. In verses 37 and 38, it says, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him, and he had just been talking about your eyes, a lamp into the body, and talking about if, you're, you know, if your soul is, is full of light. And, and, that, and so now there's this immediate um, kind of a practical uh, illustration of those that are walking in darkness, basically not seeing the light of the world for who he is, and then wrestling with that, but from the standpoint of holding on to their brokenness, to their, 
to their, to their doubt, right, rather than embracing the truth that stands in front of them. So while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table, speaking of Jesus. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Now, it's important that we unpack this. Um, have you guys gone to someone's house for dinner? Uh, I'm sure that's happened on occasions. Um, and depending on the circumstances of what you were involved in prior to coming to the home, uh, you might go in and, and say, Can, may I use the restroom and wash your hands? Um, but in most cases, you come to dinner, you're prepared to, to have dinner, and you've, you've probably already come with washed hands. Is that fair? Right? And what we do here is we put, we put our, kind of our, our, uh, our context over the text, and we miss what's really being said. This was talking about ceremonial cleansing, right? That, that originally was prescribed for the priests. And why was it prescribed for the priests? So that when they came to make an offering on, on behalf of the nation or the people, that they were first cleansing, understanding and acknowledging that they're coming before a holy God and they would be the advocate, mediator, intercessor on their behalf. And so there was this, this ornate process that especially the high priest that had to go through these, these, uh, these cleansings in order to, to be the, the mediator, right? Now we know that Jesus is our high priest, right? He's our ultimate high priest. And this is where the connection gets so rich. Is so what, what had happened over time as the elders had, had kind of added their own rules and regulations, now all of the, the leaders and now the rabbis, and now it had actually come to where people were expected to go through all these ceremonial washings before eating together. And can you imagine the weight the burden, uh, the, you know, and here, if you notice in the text, <laughs> um, he doesn't say anything. He's just, the NIV says marveled. Here it says, he's flabbergasted. He's, he's, he's annoyed that, you know, you're a rabbi. How, how dare you not do the ceremonial washing as, a, as an expression of your position and as an example to others? And Jesus is not going to propagate this broken inappropriate expression of what God intended. But there's a bigger thing going on here that if we get on the front side, this passage just opens up and lights up. Okay, so why did the high priest or the priest have to wash in this ceremonial, like in, in all these details, these, these rigid details, why did they have to do that? Because they were coming before God with an offering on behalf of the people in the nation before a holy God, Right? And God mandated these things. Do you see why Jesus doesn't have to do this? If there's anybody in the room that doesn't need to wash their, doesn't need to do the ceremonial washing, it's him. But because they don't know him or acknowledge him for who he is, they are putting these man-made rules on him and he will not condescend to those because it would be a horrible example and it would absolutely undermine the very reason he's come to reveal himself to the world to be the savior. He's trying to show them that he is Emmanuel, that he is Messiah, Christ, the anointed one, that he's God in the flesh. And to do this would be counterproductive. So as I thought about this, I'm like, well, there are moments, we're told, Paul tells us that if a, if a weaker brother 
You know, if we're going to do something that's a biblical right, right? To say drink wine, right? And, but there's someone that would, that would cause another to stumble in, <clears throat> excuse me, then we are to set aside that biblical right in order to not be a stumbling block, right? Right? And that's, and that's what love does, right? That's what love does. But here, it's the opposite. Jesus would actually be doing something, not, not doing something, but doing something that would undermine his very purpose in revealing the Father and, 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 and displaying his, his deity. Does that make sense? So why would he condescend to, to a man-made rule? And so he lays that aside, coming in. Nobody, if anybody there doesn't need to wash, it's just almost like, remember when he, you know, they, they dragged this poor young lady, yes, an adulteress caught in sin, and, and throw him, John chapter 8, throw him at Jesus' feet, throw her at Jesus' feet, using her as a pawn for their, for their, for their plan. And, uh, and Jesus says, Okay, you without sin cast the first stone. You know, in that setting, the only one that can throw the stone is who? <laughs> right? And he says, he says, does anyone condemn you? Nor do I. Go and sin no more. Man, just bathes her in grace. Just shows her the mercy of God in that moment. And really teaches the, the, the Pharisees a lesson there as well. So when we understand that Jesus isn't just being defiant, he's not just, you know, he's not eating food with dirty hands. That's not, he is, he is really living out his deity in this moment. And he is not condescending to man-made rules. Um, and it just, it just ups, it, and isn't that true of most of the, the things that upset the Pharisees, Right? That they're just making them mad and Jesus comes and, and it's, listen, please understand, he's, his intention, if we speak in tongues of, of men and of angels and have not love, you know, we're just a bunch of noise, right? I mean, we're told in 1 Corinthians 13. And so do you think that Jesus was any different, that he didn't embody that? That his heart here wasn't to, to show them the, 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 the wonder of his word so that they might confess, see their their need of a savior, need, need of repentance and confession. Yeah, what I'm getting at is that isn't the Holy Spirit in his, in his conviction and isn't the conviction that comes when we, you ever read God's word and, and you're like convicted about the things that, that are going on in your heart or in your life? What I'm saying this morning is that's a gift. That's a gift that calls us to to healing, to a cleansing that can't happen when we are just going, oh, well, that, okay, I see that's wrong. I'm going to, I'll fix that. We can't. Our hearts need a healer. And he's the only one that can do that. And all we have to do is cry out to him. In a moment, we're going to look at Psalm 51, 1 to 12, where David cries out and declares that you're the only one who can wash me. Only one. So, again, Jesus is invited to dine by a Pharisee, and Jesus knows his heart and intention. I mean, do you think that Jesus is aware of what, you know, his motive is here in this invitation? And yet he accepts, right? And, and he immediately, you know, kind of jumps in with the understanding of knowing this, the, the Pharisee's heart, and he, had, he, he gets right to the point, right? Right? 
So Jesus intentionally does not ceremonially wash his hands. And the Pharisees are, or the Pharisee is visibly astonished. And here's what my observation. Maybe it's not about following man-made rules, but what is necessary to approach a holy God. If that is the case, why would Jesus need to follow priestly protocols? Spoiler alert. Now, as I was writing this message, I'm like, we got to get to this early. I know this seems like the, the, the end of the sermon. This is the conclusion. You know, you kind of leave them hanging and then we get there and it's like, this is the point. But, but man, I couldn't wait. Here it is. Like this, this is really what, what, I, what was on my heart at that moment. I was so excited to, as the Lord, as the Spirit started to unpack this. If we are in Christ, washed clean by his sacrificial blood, do we have to clean ourselves up before we can come into his presence? Do you know that the cross invites us in? That the veil was torn from heaven to earth? And yes, do we, do we need to confess our sin, but do we need to do that in light of the realization, understanding, the acknowledgement, the confidence that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, and that he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness? And that that's already been an accomplished work on a cross that is empty and a tomb that is also empty and hearts that have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, like, that is, that is fantastic. And if we have yet to repent and receive the grace that is offered through faith in him, can we do anything to clean ourselves up? Can we? Can we fix? Man, we can make, we can make adjustments, Right? But we can't fix the, the sick heart, the broken heart, the, the dead heart we have. We need someone that can bring us back to life. This, listen, God didn't fix us. He made us new. The old is gone. Like this is a miracle. God made us new, right? And he is constantly re revealing to us the, the, the wonder of what he's done, the miracle of the change that he has made in our life. Can we say glory to God this morning? Can we just praise him right now, right here, just realizing that if it wasn't for Christ, I wouldn't even know what good is. I wouldn't even know what right is. Right? I, I wouldn't have any orientation towards righteousness and holiness. This is all imputed to me. This is a work that the Holy Spirit is revealing to me as he continues to sanctify me in the truth and show me just the, I mean, doesn't Jesus just get better? I mean, look, look Jesus has always been, right? But like for us, we're growing to understand the, Right? The wonder, the, the majesty, the love, the grace. It's so beyond, it like continues. Isn't it good that we live in a world that everything diminishes and decays? But our Jesus just gets better. He's always been better. But you know what I mean? Like he just, he, he just races into our, to our hurt and our pain and our brokenness. He bathes us in his love and grace and continues to reveal truth to us, which convicts our hearts. And, and then he gives us the power as he, can, as he says in the woes here. He gives six woes, the later three to the lawyers. And basically he says, you put burdens on people and you don't lift a finger to help them. And you know what's so interesting? And I know I'm jumping ahead here, but it's so good. Like we could hear it 10 times this morning and we don't hear it enough. This is what Jesus did. He said, come to me. You who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Right? And, 
And, and then he goes on and says this. He says, join me in my yoke, my teaching, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know what he's saying there? The yoke of a rabbi was his teaching, his doctrine. And what he is saying is, listen, he's saying these guys were putting rules on people that were just burdening them and then they weren't doing anything to help them to understand it or to realize it. Think about what Jesus did. He put a perfect righteous standard on us. Perfect. Be holy as, you, as your heavenly father. Be perfect. You know, like the, that, the Sermon on the Mount, like, <laughs> but then he tells us what's impossible for man is possible with God. Like, but, he, but here's the thing. And then he does all the heavy lifting. Like, he put, the, he put perfection on us as a standard, and then he met the standard for us. And we were imputed righteousness for our rags. Wow! What a great God we have, right? He didn't like just give us this like lofty goal. He gave us an, a, a, a standard that was well, like that's what Jesus was trying to unpack in the Sermon on the Mount. You can't but I will. I love you that much that I'm going to do what you can't do for yourself so you can experience the very thing that you've lost. You can come back to life because I am life. Right? And so he's, Jesus is the antonym of everything that he's saying to these boys and he's saying it to them like, you're the spiritual leaders. It's like what he says in John 3 to Nicodemus. He says, you're the ruler? The, doesn't say A, he says the ruler of Israel and you don't know these things, right? And so you must be born again for these things to come to us. They must be imparted by the Holy Spirit. And in this moment, Jesus walks into a, a room full of criticism, full of, of false notions. They don't know him because if they did, can I tell you this is what they would be saying instead of this? Instead of being appalled that he didn't wash ceremonially, maybe this is what they would be saying. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Listen, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David knew that only God could do this. David knew, Nathan, the prophet, and it's such a great parallel because we're talking about the prophets later here and what were the prophets doing but just telling Israel their woes. And rather than, rather than, than, than repent and experience the mercy, the refreshment that comes on the other side of repentance, rather than, than, than acknowledging their sin, as David does on the other side of, of Nathan's con convicting uh, thoughts and, and, uh, and, and prophecy, like, but they're not. They're choosing to, to justify themselves, to rationalize their, to, to say, basically, who do you think you are? Well, the good news is Jesus knew exactly who he was. Right? But, but here, David knows that only God can cleanse him 
And he says, wash me. Look at verse three. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you and only you or you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Isn't that exactly what Jesus is doing here? His words and judgments are blameless. Now, let me, let me caution you for just a moment here. So many times people have used this text to justify, I'm going to tell them what they're doing wrong. I'm going to point out their woes. Look, let me, let me say that that's the role of God and his spirit. Jesus is not being an example here. He's being God here. And he's revealing his light, his glory. And they, they are just like John 1 says, Though he wa- they re- they're rejecting him, right? They're not acknowledging. I mean, they're, they're being critical, right? But listen to what it goes on to say. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Only God can do that. Whiter than snow. Have you ever just kind of thought about that for a moment? Like this is like perfection, perfectly clean, right? And if you do it, God, you'll do it perfect. You'll wash me to to that degree. Let my heart let, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold, uh, uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach, and it goes on. That's the ideal response when we come before God and, 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 and in his grace, in his mercy. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is a gift to us in the comfort, counsel, and conviction? That when, when he brings his judgment and puts his word before us and, and shows us our, our errors, like what, is, what does he desire in that moment? That we would, that we would acknowledge and that we would turn to him and ask him. Because guys, we, we, I've, the tendency we have is, I'm going to make a change. I, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to fix my attitude, my behavior. But isn't that something we, we, experience, we, we find victory in by, by crying out to God for his, for his, his power and assistance that, that can only get that done? And so we just, we cry out to him in those moments so, first, first John 1 John 1.7, I love this. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. I love that, right? There's a rich unity that happens within the community of faith when, we are, when we're each walking in the light as he is in the light. There's a, there's a harmony, there's a oneness, there's a mutual love and affection, there's a, there's a humility, there's a desire for your way, you know, your desires, your needs to be met above my own, all of those things. But I love what it finishes here, and this speaks to our text this morning. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that the cross was sufficient? that Christ's blood was the, was the perfect lamb of God that took away the sins of the world, that it, that it washed you white as snow, 
that it was perfect in its, its application to, to all of the, the implications of our life and the deficiencies. And as we discover those, what should we do? Think about this, guys. Like, as we, di- as we, as we discover, oh, I, has this not been your experience? Because it's definitely been mine. That as, I'm, as the Lord is, is making me more like himself, I like go, ooh, I didn't realize that. Ooh, oh. Like we kind of walk into these moments and we realize that there's, there's further work that needs to be done in this heart. But what do we do in that moment? We acknowledge that he's done it. And we have the power has been, has been put in us to, to continue to uh, realize, because we just need to believe that it's been accomplished and trust him for the finished work. So do we clean or fix ourselves when we fail or fall? Can we take a, an extensive bath or shower or jump in the ocean to wash off our sin? No. We walk in the light. We confess and repent. That is the only way to clean the inside of our cup. Then we will walk out righteousness in his power and for his glory. Otherwise, we, le- we live a stained glass masquerade like we see depicted in this, in this event. Like we're just trying to portray something on the outside that's not true of the inside. So in my house, and I've already been, uh, I just, man, if, if this isn't part of your role in the home, I'm, I'm apologizing up front. Um, but in, in our home, like I, I, I get to do the dishes. And so, um, and my wife is so gracious, she often just helps me with that. Uh, and it's something we do together. The other day, we actually, there was a song on. We used Alexa in the kitchen, and, and we got to dance a little bit. That was kind of, that was, that was a warm moment, and I enjoyed. Um, but if, um, it, you know, if I'm washing the dishes, I'm just saying I'm spending 95% of my time on the inside of the cup and on the inside of the bowl, right? I mean, that's where, that's where the, that's what's dirty, right? Like the outside, you know, I kind of, yeah, I kind of wipe it off afterwards and rinse it, but, but I'm doing most of the work on the inside of the dish because that's where, that's where, that's where the dirt, that's where the problem is, right? And, and that's what Jesus is getting at here. Is he's, like, he's basically telling them, you're majoring on the minors. This is a heart problem. It's not a behavior problem. Do you, do you acknowledge when you say something or do something that you shouldn't do that I've got, I've got a heart problem here that only God can fix? Because that's the right, that's what the gospel teaches us. The good news is we can't, but he can. What's impossible for man is possible with God. Isn't that good news? That's really good news. And that, that God is not, not only able, but he's, he has and he's willing to minister to us in that moment, to be the prodigal father that stands on the horizon. And the moment we make one step in his direction, he races to us, embraces us, reminds us that we're son and restores the inheritance that we've squandered. Who does that? That's our God. That's our glorious, gracious, loving, merciful, and abundantly fantastic God that we serve. And, uh, and Jesus showed us the Father through that. So in verses not 39 and 40, it goes on to say, And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Is that true? Who made, who made both the inside and outside? 
For you were knitted together in your mother's womb, fearfully and wonderfully made. Right? And, and uh, so the Lord knows that righteousness is an inside-out work. We can try to clean up our external lives and behaviors, but unless we have a soul-washing experience with the Lord, our actions and attitudes remain, and in most cases, worsen. Is that true? Right? Like, but God has postured and has already made provision for our sanctification, for our holiness. Right? And so, unlike the Pharisees and the, and the lawyers here or the scribes, like, we, we just need to acknowledge Christ and who he is, his presence, and the fact that he's clean and wants to make us clean. Right? That's, that's really what needed to happen there. Like, let me, let me use an illustration that, 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 that was helpful for me. So, how many of you had children that have ever used uh, inappropriate language? How many of you have worked children that use inappropriate language? Okay, I see both those hands back there. Okay, so, um, and, and mine are up too, right? Um, uh, I actually got a bird pepper in the Bahamas. That's something you put in your casserole and you only need one. Um, and I deserved every bit of it. Um, but oftentimes parents will use soap in the mouth, right, to, to, make, to make a statement about what the action that has been, that has been done. Uh, does that change? Does that change? It might, it might curb or, or make, make a statement, but unless the hearts change, does that soap change? No, it, it doesn't, right? It doesn't. Like we, it's a heart issue that needs to be addressed. And, and, we're, and I think sometimes we need to, uh, need to approach it that way with ourselves and others, Right? It's important. John 15, 3 says this, just so we know the agents of change, the, the very catalysts of change in our life. Jesus said to the boys right there in the garden as he's preparing for his own, his own crucifixion, he says, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Because of the word I have spoken. Do, do we underestimate the power of God's word to cut to the thoughts and intentions of our heart? Like that God's like like faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word. Right? Like like that's a miracle. Like faith and and just confronting our motives and our thoughts and intentions. Like are you spending time in front of God's word with a with a teachable spirit, a humble heart, and a desire to be clay in the potter's hands? You know, are you, are you saying, Lord, teach me that I might obey, that I might just surrender to whatever it is, the, the conviction of whatever it is that you've put on my heart. In John 13, verses 7 through 9, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And this really speaks to uh, what we're talking about this morning. And it says, now, Peter has become very resistant to, um, to Jesus washing his feet. And it's purely from the standpoint that, you know, he was asked, who do, you, who do you say that I am? And the end result was, Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. So, I mean, you know, he says, Heaven, heaven's revealed this to you. So Peter had some, some insight on, on who this, this, you know, at this stage in the game, this is hours before the cross. And, and what's interesting is Peter is just like, there's no way you're going to wash my feet. 
right? But Jesus says, I've, come to ser- ser- I've, I've not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. He said, if you want to be great, become a servant, right? And so, you know, that's one of the most winsome characteristics of God is that God is almighty and humble. Meekness. Wow. And so Jesus answers him when Peter says, never, never will you wash my feet. Right? He cannot be. God forbid. And he says, this is what Jesus says, what I am doing you do not understand now. And I, I'm, I'm telling you that um, Peter, I mean, Jesus is ultimately pointing to the cross here, right? What I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards, speaking after his resurrection, you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Now, Peter then goes into talking about like, then wash my head, my hands, you know what? And he says, you know, you've already taken a bath. That's not what I'm talking about, right? Like, and what he was pointing to is the cross and what it's going to do. It's going to cleanse. And this is how we have portion. We have share. We have, we have relationship with him is by him washing us. So let me just point out this morning that the more we, 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 we embrace the cleansing work of God's word and spirit, the more that we experience the, the rich, intimate relationship with Jesus. Does that make sense? And so often, like the Pharisees, we, we wrestle with pride and arrogance and like, I'm not doing anything wrong and, you know, and, and, and resisting like the, the awesome presence of Jesus and the counsel of his word, much like Israel did throughout their legacy with the prophets, right? They, they just... They, 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 rather than honor them, as Jesus talks about sending, you know, servants to the vineyard, like they killed them. Because it's a lot easier to, to put the messenger out than to heed the message. Right? And so we've, we've got to learn from this. Um, going on in verse 41, it says, But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. In other words, what's within? Our hearts. Like, give, that's why he says, give unto Caesar what is Caesar and give unto God's what is God's. God's, it, it, the heart. God wants, listen, God really doesn't want your money. <laughs> he wants your heart. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? He, he, he wants us to, to give him. And then, as a byproduct in what he's saying here, he wants us to give others, because the alms were given to the poor, he wants us to give others his heart. But we've got to have his heart before we can give his heart away. Does that make sense? And, and that's what Jesus is getting to. He's like, you don't have my heart. Right? The problem here is, is you've, got a, you've, got a, you've got a darkened heart. And it's manifesting itself through rules and, you know, darkness. And you're leading others astray. So verse, verse 20, 42 says, But woe to you, Pharisees, as he begins these, these three woes. He says, you, For you tithe mint and rue and, and herbs. These are just right down to the minuscule things. Right down to the, to the, the medical herbs and the cooking herbs. And you're, you're tithing 10% of everything, right? Uh, and neglecting justice and the love, the love of God. And this is what he said. These you ought to have done. In other words, tithing, he advocates. He says, you know, not to the, to the extent for the purpose of portraying some, 
you know, ritualistic righteousness, right? Because righteousness is imputed to us by faith and then manifested through faith, through our living, right? It's not something we do in order to be, to be pious about who we are. You don't tithe and go, such a good Christian. Look what I've done. Look what I did. You know, we give without the left hand knowing the right. Why? Because our righteousness is not given to us by what we do. Our righteousness is imputed to us by faith. Do you know that you're righteous because of your trust and admiration and, 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 and lordship with Christ? That, that it's, it's we, we, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's how righteousness is imputed. And so we don't earn it. We don't maintain it. It is imputed and given to us. And that's, again, a part of the good news. So in verse 43, he tells him again, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the, in the synagogue and, the, and greetings in the marketplace. I don't know if you know this, but as they, they would walk through the marketplace, they, they would, people would get out of their way. They would bow. They would, they would say, you know, they would offer them greetings. You know, there was this honor. And, and really what Jesus is saying is that you, you enjoy the, the, the benefits of your position. And, and you enjoy that more important than those that you serve and are called to love. Like, this is, this is more about the, 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 you know what I mean? Like your image than it is about my image. And then Luke 44, the third woe for the Pharisees is, woe to you for you are like unmarked graves, the, that people walk over them without knowing it. Now, this is the one that most people don't understand. So they were, they were meticulous about all the rules and regulations, both God's and theirs. And one of the things was if they, they came in contact with a dead body, they were ceremonially unclean for a week or more. So this is, this is what, if a grave wasn't marked, they could possibly walk over it if it didn't have any sort of marking. They could walk over it and then they would be, they would be unclean. What Jesus is saying here, and, and can you imagine how hard that was for them to hear, but true, was when people come in contact with you, they become unclean. Wow. You know, we have to ask ourselves in the, in the context of these three woes, you know, are we doing religious things that are, that are asked of us, tithing, you know, things that, you know, being joyful givers. And, um, but are we doing them for, for, uh, to earn some status in our own mindset of righteousness? Or we, do we believe that that's imputed to us by faith? Are we trying to hold up some sort of religious uh, position or, or posture, um, not acknowledging that it's, it's been given to us as a gift? Right? And, and, and trying to, to impress people? Right? Or, or here, uh, is our interaction with others, does it, does it cause them to, to draw near to Christ? Or does it push them further from the understanding of who he is by the, by the things that we say and do? And, and let me say this. If any of that's convicting for you, as it should be for all of us, good news Go to our glorious and gracious God like David did on the other side of a prophetic word as we're receiving, hopefully, and just say, I'm sorry, Father. I've fallen short here and I need you to cleanse me. I need you to wash me of this. 
I acknowledge that you alone can do this. And maybe you need to just use Psalms 51 and let that be. I, t- I mean, for over a decade early in my, in my walk with the Lord, man, I wore out Psalms 51, you know, and continue to go there, you know, as, as, because it's such an ideal prayer for that moment to acknowledge that only he can, and I'm desperate to be cleansed. So it goes on to say, and one of the lawyers, uh, you might say scribes, uh, these are the lawyers, and there were lawyers of the law, of the Jewish law, um, answered him, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us too, right? And, and Jesus isn't saying here, oh, you want some too? Okay. That's not his attitude. Please don't see that, right? Because sometimes we, we make God like us. God is, God is holy other, He's not like us. He is patient and kind. What does he do with his anger? It only lasts a moment, right? He doesn't, he doesn't let that hurt but help, right? We, we see that throughout the scriptures. But Jesus goes on here. He says, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us too, verse 46. And he said, woe to you lawyers also. And, and, and for me, I believe his, his, his disposition and his, his countenance was one of love. I mean, I think it was so confusing for them because in that moment they're going, I felt loved and offended at the same time. That's the beauty. And just so you can kind of like relate to that, have you ever just read God's word and you're like, I feel so loved but so wrong. You know, and, but, but he's going to make me right. Because he has. And he, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's this gentleness that's depicted as one of the fruit of the Spirit. And don't you think that Jesus embodied all of that? I mean, I, I don't think he's like, I don't think he's just screaming or yelling or, or angry. I think his, his heart, because you know what it says in Acts? I love this. One of my favorite verses in Acts. It says, many priests became obedient to the faith. After the resurrection. Right? And you, you got to believe that that's the seeds that are planted here because sometimes we need to see the perfect law and understand that that's, that's not who God wants us to be. And he, he's not like the lawyer that doesn't offer the help to, to get us to the perfect standard. Isn't that awesome? That's one of my favorite parts of this text is that he's not, Jesus isn't like the lawyers that put burdens on their shoulders and don't lift a finger to help them. <laughs> He's the one that, that puts the perfect standard on us, raises the bar to perfection, and then he comes and meets it for us. How good is that? I can't say that enough. I can't, that's just so refreshing this morning. Is that he, to every one of these woes, he is the contradiction. He is the antonym. He is the opposite, the, the holy of the wrong. You know, and it's so good. Because here's, here's what he offers to the teacher first. He says, woe to you lawyers also. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, yokes, and you yourselves do not touch the burden with one of your fingers. And don't you love that Jesus, as I mentioned, is the total opposite of that. He took the heavy weight. He took the cross for us. He took the weight of the law and and fulfilled it on our behalf, imputed his righteousness and took our rags. Like that's, are, are you blown away by what Jesus, I mean, I, thank you, Colette, because I sit up here and I'm, I think through these things as I'm sharing them with you and I'm just like, how loved are we? 
No greater love than this than a man laid down. Like Jesus died. Please hear this. Paul made it personal in, in, in Galatians 2.20. He says, he, died, he loved me and died for me. I am crucified. He loved me and died. Like he died for you to make you right with his father, to make you holy, blameless, to wash you of all of these things that were so that our nature just desires to, to do and to destroy. Um, so then he gets to this woe. He says, For you build the tombs, this verse 47, of the prophets whom your father killed, so you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their tombs. Okay, so here's, when I first read portions of this, I was like, huh? Like, okay, like, I, I got to keep reading that, reading that. And I prayed through it. And as I studied in the, you know, I, I'm a big proponent of let the spirit teach you his word, right? Don't lean on other people's secondhand information, right? We can benefit from others and we should, but, but like, this is my conclusion, Often this passage is referenced to justify rebuking others for their, their hypocrisy. That is not the point of the example that Jesus is setting here. God alone is judge, and if they recognize who Jesus was, and we is, and the authority of his word, like the prophets, they would have ideally humbly repented and received the gift of correction. Unfortunately, they did the opposite and sought to quench the messenger like their fathers, rather than honor God's word. And what he's saying is, you're a witness to all of this. You, you've, seen, you, you've seen all the mistakes that have been made. You know them intimately as lawyers and, and Pharisees and scribes. Like, you know this, and yet you're doing, don't, don't miss this, you're doing the exact same thing right now, right here. Do you know that's what Jesus was doing? He was prophetically opening their own hearts to them, showing them why, so that they might turn. And he knew their heart in that moment and was saying, you're doing the same thing, right? So here's some questions for you to process this personally. How do you respond to the gift of correction? Be honest with yourself. How do you respond to the gift of correction, whether it's the Holy Spirit, uh, God's Word, God's word is filled with good news that changes us. Let the word of God wash over you as you receive and believe its powerful work to cleanse our lives. Another question. Have you ever been rebuked by his word or his spirit? I hope maybe even as soon as today, you know. Um, what is our ideal response there? What's our ideal response there? To change our behavior? No, not, I mean, once we're given the power, maybe, but ideally, it's to confess our sin and ask for his healing hand, to acknowledge him for who he is and what he's done. Why didn't they respond ideally? And I think this might be helpful because I'm going to point out some things that might resonate with you. And just, just be open to that so that you might ask for the, the, the change of heart that we all need. So why didn't they respond ideally? Who does he think he is? Well, the question's kind of backwards. Who do I think he is? That's the, that's the question that they really needed to answer. He knows who he is, right? But 
he might say, oh, you know, who, do he, who does he think he is? So the issues can be pride, jealousy, like in the case of Cain and Abel, arrogance, um, blind to their own sin, which we all are potentially there. And, and as we see in the woes, loved their position and popularity more than God, made the same mistake that they saw others make. That's what's going on. That's what Jesus is unpacking. Have you, have you not been given tons of examples of people making mistakes that you were a witness of or maybe the victim of that haven't really made uh, an impact for correction in your own life that you haven't looked to God to change and to restore? This whole thing ends with this because now I think this will give clarity to this particular portion of the text. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, now by the way, this is not some Old Testament passage. This is Jesus being who he is, the wisdom of God, as, as Corinthians tells us. I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundations of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel, the first martyr, to the blood of Zechariah, the last martyr, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Now let me tell you why. That seems harsh. But when you have all of the benefit of hindsight, when you have all the benefit of seeing how your people and the people of God have gone through these cycles of judges and, you know, you know, you know you've just seen it. They've, they've, they've heard from the Lord and then they, they, they choose their own way and they, you see the, the outcome of that. And then the ultimate prophet has come, the one that Moses spoke of, right? Jesus has come and he is here in front of you. Can you see why you, this is the ultimate error? And you have rejected him. And this is what he's talking about. Verse 42 says, Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. Who's the key to knowledge? Jesus, the Holy Spirit, right? They have rejected him, so they've rejected him on behalf as a leader of others, right? You did not enter yourselves. He's the gate, the door, the way. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering so what is he saying here? If we live the wrong message, we hinder others. Can I, can I say that again? If we live the wrong message, the wrong gospel, the wrong truth, then we, we become a hindrance to others. They rejected Jesus, hindering others by example. And that's what we see here. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come and we're going to close. And, and what we see here in this very last two verses is their, their resistance, their rejection of Jesus. You know, um, can I make a parallel here before I read this? Do you, if you've read through the account where Nathan comes to David and he basically you know, knows that David was a shepherd and he says that you know, there was this guy and and he had one little ewe lamb. Like he just had one little lamb and, and, uh, and that's all he had. And, and this other guy had lots and lots of sheep and lamb. And, and, uh, but yet he, he, he had a friend come. He had someone come and he needed to provide a meal. And he took the one lamb. Instead of taking, he took the one lamb 
and he and he took that one instead and and, and slaughtered it. And and uh, and David's enraged because he's a shepherd, right? He can relate to this. Like he's like, oh, what? This man will die by Sunday. Like oh, you know, he's mad. And Nathan says, "This man is you." And instantly he knows that he's right. And his response is what we read in Psalms 51. Like, isn't that ideal? Like, guys, what I want us to, to understand is as, as believers is that God is going to, he's going to kind of share some woes with us along the way, and we need that. It's a gift. Conviction is a gift. And how we respond to that is so important. And David's response was he fell on his face. He acknowledged that God alone could wash and fix him and that he was, his sin was ever before him, against him and him alone had he sinned and done what was evil in his sight. And so as we close our time together, because look at, look at that response to prophetic word, someone revealing you know, your heart to them or to you. And, and this is their response. This is the Pharisee's response. As they went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something that he might say. So as we close in this last song, can I, can I just challenge you that during this song, maybe make your seat an altar, maybe come up here, but by all means, process this with the Lord. And maybe there's some things that the Lord has revealed to you even in this moment, in this morning, that rather than saying, I'm going to do better, Lord, you know, I'm going to fix this, I'm, <laughs> why not cry out to him? Why not say to him, I can't, but you can. My confidence is in you to clean and cleanse and restore and change and to bring the change that's necessary in my life so that I might give alms to the poor, that I might be a loving agent in other people's lives. All right, let's stand, let's worship, let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.